Welcome into another edition, episode 99 of the Train with the Best podcast. I'm Craig Hoffman. It'll be just be me today. No Chris, but not really just me because on the phone I got Dr. John Russin, who is a world-renowned sports performance coach, injury prevention expert, uh, and he taught me last weekend at his pain-free performance or his pain. What, I, I want to get this right. PPSC. I got the 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 uh, the letters down, but trying to get what they stand for. I got your title right. Now I've I've screwed up the uh, actual brand. I'll help here. you out here, man. It's the pain-free performance specialist certification. That's what I was looking for. See, all of a sudden I started saying it out loud and it didn't sound right because there's no F in PPSC. But pain-free. It took is me a couple of months to get to spit that out consistently correct, but because pain-free is dash. We actually keep it as one word, but you know it's uh, it's a little ambiguous. I will give it at that. You uh, you'd think as a quasi journalist, I would know these types of things and how these abbreviations work, but uh, <laughs> that's that's where my limitations hit a wall. Um, so I I took that. It was awesome. Got the certification. Learned a lot, uh, and I wanted to follow up on some of that. And you're nice enough to take some time here to do the pod. So uh, with that, let's dive in and kind of just on a general background. Um, you obviously have this system. You have this pain free performance system that you've created and have now taught all over the world at what point in your career maybe there was an aha moment where you knew you wanted to formalize this in some way and share it Uh, actually there wasn't like a specific moment this is something a system that i've been running for close to a decade now and really as i began to fine-tune this thing as i had more experience utilizing this system the system got better and better uh it got simpler but it also got better results through a wide demographic of people. So we're using it with youth athletes all the way up into the aging population. So I think three years ago, I started the two-day seminar, and it was the pain-free training system seminar. And that's really allowed me to get out about 50 times, to be able to present to intelligent people like yourself, and really fine-tune the system and the curriculum to the point where now it is a system that can stand alone. So we created the certification in January of 2019. So this bad boy is brand new and it's the PPSC. And this thing is not only uh, a practical application, but it's also lecture based. And it's the first time in my career that I've not just lectured to people. We actually have people practicing, doing panel Q&As, and it's a lot more interactive. But I, I truly think that it's the yin to the yang that many times strength coaches and personal trainers need in the industry. Yeah, I think one of the the things that I like the most that you stressed during this was occasionally you kind of break away from the X's and O's, if you will, and remind people like, hey, you're training emotional beings, you're training people, you know, this is the way you present this to a client. Um, Was that always kind of part of the, the, the presentation, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it? Or was that something that, you know, maybe someone came back to you and said, hey, I tried this and my client was like, that's not great. Uh, How how did that, that part of it become such a large emphasis? It's become a large emphasis because it's something that I've done since basically day one with my clients. You know, 13 and a half years ago, I trained my first athlete. And I was always super juiced up to go in and train and empower people. I have that same juice today when I work with people. And I always look at trying to make your session with your client or your athlete the best part of their day. But you know what? You can't make it the best part of your day if you're critiquing every single possible thing that they're doing. If you're fear-mongering or if you're giving pain signals or making self-fulfilling prophecies out of your clientele. So I think over the years, it's been just a mistake that I've seen made that is hugely pivotal to the long-term success with clients. That trainers are going through screens, they're going through assessments, but they end up actually verbally talking through the process 
as opposed to getting to a results-based process, which is utilizing the data for yourself and empowering your client no matter what the outcome was of that test, that screen, or that assessment. So it's a mistake that I see that sometimes we're not speaking to the empowerment model. We're trying to educate trainers or educate our clients like they're another trainer. And it's uh, two polar opposite different things, but we have to be better savvy communicators because at the end of the day, our clients are coming to us to train. They're coming to get results. They don't necessarily have to know what their cue angle is between their knee and hip ratio. They don't care. Right. And let me follow up on that though, because I, I am someone who likes to teach my clients while I train. And I think there is a place for it. I don't think specific angles is that place, obviously. But, <laughs> you know, I, I think that you can create buy-in by, you know, having them know what they're doing, essentially, to, to the, the greatest of their own intellectual abilities within their own knowledge of their body. And you can be helpful as a trainer to teach on that. So how, how do you strike that balance of, you know, have you, or I don't know if you even thought about it that much of kind of where you go, oh, this is something where I want them to know I need your hamstring to work versus, you know, obviously somewhere way farther down the spectrum across this imaginary line that we're trying to find is the exact knee angle that they're at. Well, I mean, as a journalist, Craig, it's like it's all about the hook, right? It's yeah. all about the way yeah. that you communicate your message and you hook them into why this is important. So there's you know, two different examples that we could give here. Somebody does, uh, say, a hamstring curl, and they have a cramp that happens in their hamstring as they're on the physio ball. The first reaction is the novice reaction that a coach will have. They'll go, oh, my God, what, what happened? Oh, your hamstring cramped? Oh, man, uh, let's not do that exercise again because probably you're going to hurt your lower back on this next rep. That is what a vast majority of the novice trainers will do because that's what they're thinking about in their mind. What a savvy communicator does goes, okay, your hamstring cramped on that one. Oh, you know what? Let's make sure that your core is locked in on here and it's always positive reinforcements. Let's work on form. Let's change your setups and let's make sure that you can have the right feel in the right time. Maybe you change their exercise exactly the same way as you did with the novice trainer saying that, oh man, you're going to get hurt on this next one. But it doesn't ever enter into your client's mind that maybe this is potentially something that is going to be dangerous. Maybe this is potentially something that I should be fearful of. It's something that we always need to have a positive wrap around whatever we're trying to say. You know, there are times and places where we can, we can dance around the educational portion of being a trainer because that's what we're doing. We are teaching as much as we are coaching. These two things are one and the same. But what I think we need more in our industry today is the empowerment model because we're getting the opposite of the empowerment model. Basically, when you go to see your general physician, they tell you not to train. When you go see your physical therapist and they say weight training is inherently dangerous, or you go into your chiropractor that says that you need to have three adjustments of your spine every single week so your discs don't bulge out the back of your spine. So we have a lot of negative connotations surrounding human movement and training, really coming from multiple different aspects of our industry today. I think one of the biggest opportunities that strength coaches and personal trainers have is being the change in the preventative-based model, and that has to come with positive mindset. I really like that, the empowerment model. I, I think that's a term that we should try to push and have that catch on. Um, last time we had you on, and, and this was a big part of the presentation as well, and a big part of the, the certification, is the linchpin kind of theory, if you will. Yes. Um, you know, let's focus on one thing and focus on the weakest link and train it until it's no longer the weakest link, and then you'll have a new weakest link, and you train that, and that's how you exactly. just kind of sure things up. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, I just follow up, and I, and I wanted to kind of ask this as, as simply as possible. Can we multitask, though? Are, are there times, are there, are there places where you think – 
that trying to do two things at once uh, is actually the right move? And and where do you think that's applicable, or do you just think that you know one thing at a time is is truly time tested for you uh, and your results? The best way to do this, without exception. I I've always speak to my experiences and what's worked for our clients and what's worked with a broad scope of what we've done over a thirteen and a half year period. So. I've been the guy before that's trying to co-manage a knee, a hip, and spine position all simultaneously. Did I get results? Yeah. I wouldn't be talking to you here on this podcast today if I wasn't getting results early on. But was the result as optimal as it could possibly be? No, it wasn't. So as my career has gone on, as I've seen more clients, as I've worked with a more diverse population, I've truly gone in and put first things first because again it becomes extremely hard to multitask especially when you're mixing and matching two highly subjective things human movement plus a pain signaling response in the human neurological systems so when you have these two highly variable things at play synergizing with one another we really truly just have to work on the weakest link you know for anyone who's done any self-help development it's all about simplifying the model it's about identifying the weakest link in the chain because you can truly only be as strong as your weakest link. And I know that sounds like bullshit, but it truly is true whether you're running a business, whether you're training athletes, whether you're trying to lock, unlock somebody's longevity at 65 years old and making sure that they get to the 80th year of life with a huge quality of life. So I have made I had gotten decent results doing a co-managing process, but I think that the only times and places that that tends to work today are the .001 percenters, the professional athlete that literally has an Achilles strain and he has a rotator cuff stability problem on his right side. And in order to get him out on the field on Sundays, we need to be able to co-manage this. Mm -hmm. But most people don't have four to eight hours a week to co-manage rehab process. They need to get in, they need to get a training effect, and they need to push their health, their wellness, their training, and their lifestyles forward in a more sustainable process. So weak link busting, I think putting all eggs in the basket, having that domino effect go off, it doesn't mean that if you're working on sh shoulder stability, you're not going to be able to enhance core position. It doesn't mean that if you work on big toe extension, it's not going to help your opposite side knee. The domino effect is putting first things first, hitting that first domino over, and start starting to see the positive correlations that we can have with the human movement system. Because contrary to popular belief, we're just not a bag of muscles. We are an entire integrated being, meaning that as soon as we move any aspect of our body, we have a lot of neurological inputs coming in, but also we have a lot of electrical stimulation that goes from literally our head to our toe, no matter what you're doing. So whether you're doing dumbbell raises or you're doing power cleans, it has to have a full body-based approach because that's what your brain body is signaling. This podcast is powered by Super Coffee. Super Coffee was founded by three brothers, the Seco boys and their youngest brother's dorm room, when he, like they, the two older brothers, was struggling in college, paying attention in class, getting up. They were all athletes and just they were tired all the time. The schedule is exhausting. And so they're like, all right, we need good coffee. We need some protein because we're athletes. We need to make sure we're recovering and getting our proper protein intake. And then uh, what else can we put in there? I, hey, I heard some good things about MC2 oils and, and healthy fats and, and what they can do. Okay, cool. Let's, uh, let's do that. So they blended it all together. And lo and behold, 
It was delicious. It was so delicious. They took it to one of their local grocery stores and said, hey, this is our drink. Can we sell it here? And they were like, yes, this is delicious. And that's how Super Coffee started. And now you can get it more and more places every single day. It's unbelievable. Every single day at Drink Super Coffee on Instagram, I see a new place in the country that you can buy Super Coffee in stores. But you know where you can get it online and 25% off? drinksupercoffee.com. All you need is the code train with the best. So go to drinksupercoffee.com, use the code train with the best, and whether you get super coffee or they've expanded, super espresso, super creamer, 25% off your first order at drinksupercoffee.com. From Key2 Life Incorporated, reminding you that if you can change your energy, you can change the world, because that is the Key2 Life. The Train with the Best podcast is brought to you by Momentus. I'm going to give you an Easter egg in this very ad. I am in Miami right now. If you follow me on Instagram, you kind of know that. But I think you can probably guess why I'm here with episode 100 on The Verge. But did you know that the reason we got partnered up with Momentus was our friends at DBC? I posted about them uh, after hearing David Alexander say, hey, these guys are good. And I figured if David endorses a protein, then it's probably pretty good. And was able to get in touch with Matt at Momentus. We had him on the podcast. That's a really great listen. Go back and check that out. And lo and behold, we have a wonderful partnership that is helping people get the best protein in the whole world. Plant-based, whey-based, whatever one you want for whatever you need. Regular everyday use, strength recovery, endurance recovery. They have a protein for you. And it tastes Great. On top of being unleaded, yeah, 70% of the top brands on Amazon have lead in them. Momentous is not one of those brands. They are one of the top 100. They are not one of the ones with lead. And if you go to livemomentous.com, use the code train with the best, you can get your high quality protein for 20% off. So make sure you do that. Livemomentous.com. Code is train with the best. Because if you want to train with the best, you better recover with the best. And that is why we choose Momentous. I want to ask you about the terminology that you use in your, or and, and it's really more a question about the terminology that you aren't using in your uh, presentation right now, because you, you kind of said a couple of times, uh, you're talking about SMR, and you're like, really, the, think of this as soft tissue. And, you know, for <laughs> Carrie, it's like, really, I wish I made this locomotion. And I want to go, yeah. hey, John, it's your thing. Change it. Why, why have you not, uh, why have you decided to, to stick with kind of more, I would say more traditional ways of the nomenclature as opposed to going ahead and, and pushing ahead with some of the things that you think could, could maybe be a little better? I think that people need to understand at a simple level before they can understand at a complex level and then resystemize again in a simple level. So if I can't speak to a vast majority of people being on the same wavelength with me with the messaging that we have, then I'm really cutting off the ability to help a vast majority of people. So when I say the term locomotion versus the term carry, you know, carry people can like I'm fucking carrying my groceries in from the car. Right. People can conceptualize that. Say locomotion. Nine out of ten people are like, uh, I have no idea what that means. So nine out of ten people can't open up their mindset of why that might be important at that point in time. So I try to use simple terminology just so we can have a starting point with people. You know, just like the titles of our articles, they're very simple, but they're thought provoking because the only goal there is to get you to make sure that you go in and you invest time in actually educating further from that standpoint. So simplified mindset and the way that we categorize, the way that we systemize, it's something that I don't want to change right now because we have so much success speaking to these exact and specific points. But they become a very intriguing talking point because what people tend to think that they know through the curse of superficial knowledge, we have to re-educate a tiny bit. But 
that's the reason for the certification course right there. So you promise it's not just because locomotion would look shitty on a t-shirt. Well, I, you could quote me on that because I said it at the certification <laughs> course, but I was, I was half joking, but I don't think it would fit across the back of my t-shirt. I'm not big enough for that. No, no. Just oh, the largest or the extra largest say locomotion, <laughs> the smallest medium say carry. That'd be there a funny bit. I think we should do that. Uh, how do you feel? Uh, actually, you know, you, you talked about this at the, the cert, so I know how you feel about it, but I wanted you to expand on it. Um, the rule of opposite, so to speak, versus the performance of a pattern. And what I mean by this is, you know, you have your basketball player who needs to be really good at decelerating so their knee doesn't blow out when they do it and change direction. But do we really want to train that when that's all they're doing on the court all day? Or do we want to round it out? How, how have you over your career, especially with, with athletes, balanced out the, you know, fine tuning of the movement patterns they perform most often versus making sure they have a well-rounded uh, program that hits the places that they're not getting in their sport or their everyday life? Yeah, I, I, I felt a little bit bad because I, I very matter-of-factly, like, somewhat roasted uh, one of our attendees that asked uh, – the question was, hey, should I not be moving my athlete's head at all if they're a golfer because they have to look at the ball as they swing? I'm like, no, man. We need to be actually moving like a human being before we can actually just focus in. It's like if that was effective, everyone would be walking around and casts around their necks yeah, if they look, were golfers. Man, I'm, I, I, you can't say this, but I can't. We had a couple of questions that were doozies. And over the weekend, you know, I, <laughs> but that was such a good question because I yeah. had people come through and they're like, man, I never heard about that before. But basically what we're talking about through uh, different lifestyle stresses, through different sport positional stresses, and then training positional stresses is at the end of the day, we just have to have a well-rounded approach. So let's take this as our golfer, for instance. So say you're in season in golf. Uh, you're a varsity golfer in a Division One level. You're golfing in the fall, and you have 20 weeks of competition. At that point in time, you're going to be spending a whole lot in competition on the weekends. You're probably going to be hitting the range multiple times a week. And then you're going to be going in and doing practice rounds multiple times a week. So you are laser focused in with your neck position on that ball at all times. So in training via uh, an in-season program, we are trying to give them what they're not getting. So maybe we start working that T-spine rotation with more of an emphasized neck movement at that point in time. But that same athlete, you could take an opposite-based approach. You could say, hey, now it's your off-season. Now it's uh, 12 degrees outside. You're not golfing outside because there's two feet of snow. You're only hitting the range inside three days a week. Now we might actually work where we work on next stability and we actually laser in that vision and we have that focal point with our visual systems. So it's always trying to give people what they're not currently getting. So going back to explosive-based movements or decelerative movements on the basketball court, if you're doing that in season, cool, we don't need any more of that. You know, more of something good is not necessarily always a good thing. We need to be training for the rule of opposites. But it can go off-season to in-season. It can go postural demands on your daily life versus postural demands or positional demands of your sport. There's many different intertwining factors here that kind of play to that rule of opposites as I spoke to at the course. Yeah, no, and just to, to back up on that um, or back you up on that, not that you need it, but the idea that in basketball season, it's like, oh, I just need to get more, you know, I need to get this guy's vertical up. No, 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 that's what the offseason is for. Like you, you have a budget of ground contacts, and if you they are spending them in practice and in games, and if you jump someone in season as a strength coach uh, coaching a basketball person, you should be fired immediately. Like, keep them on the ground, make sure that they're stable, make sure that they're strong, they're capable of exploding, but you don't explode them because they will, well, explode. 
so the last thing I want to go over you with uh, is I, I think I, I'm curious how you'll you'll kind of approach this or from either a programming or just whether it's like no it's just a difference in nomenclature a, a, a difference of where we draw the line you know the whole the whole six phase dynamic warm up takes somewhere between six and sixteen minutes for the the healthy yep. person at six to seven minutes see I told you you got a ninety three on the test and uh, you know I I someone who does a little bit longer or had been doing a, a little bit longer warm-ups, but I think it's just, I call stuff that you wouldn't necessarily call the warm-up, the warm-up when you're dealing mm-hmm. with an athlete specifically, and you yep. are ever coaching skill acquisition, your marches, your running form drills, your A skips, your B skips, all that kind of stuff. You can obviously use that in your six phase dynamic warm-up, but when you have that skill acquisition phase where you're maybe not going straight from the warm-up to the lift, how do you, how do you balance those things? Do you extend the warm-up? Do you not consider that a part of the warm-up? How do you program that? Yeah, I don't consider it a part of the warm-up. Our sixth phase is rock solid, and we would never put in anything like a ballistic locomotive, uh, like a skip, an A-skip or something like that, or a bound. Where that becomes advantageous to program is uh, movement preparation. You know, you're very familiar with that term. The movement prep goes between the big lifts of the day in the training session itself and the six-phase dynamic warm-up. So remember, what is the goal of the dynamic warm-up? It's to mitigate the risk of injuries. It's to improve a motor pattern and clean up weak links in the process, having a compounding effect. We can use all the benefits from that six phase to get in and start moving with a locomotive-based pattern or a sport-specific pattern, acceleration, top-end speed mechanics, agility. And that happens anywhere from a 5 to 15 bridge aspect of a program that happens, again, between the warm-up what I call the warm up with the six phase and your actual key lifts for the day. And, you know, speaking like that's the way Exos uses it. They use it extremely well. But in my opinion, you're not warming up if your intent is to clean up motor skill acquisition in explosive based movements on the field court or on the turf. You know, that should be having a bigger focus that should be enhanced. And the way that we have a focus and enhance it is through getting the benefits of that six phase warm up. But you can see very clearly that with the phase six of my warm up sequence, we have CNS prep. That CNS prep can be extended if you want to call it that. And it goes into movement prep at that point because those are going to be very efficient, very twitchy based motions that we tend to work on so we can get, again, the most out of whatever your focus is, plus having feeling good, functioning well for the key lifts of the day. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. And that's kind of what I thought. And you you very briefly hinted at it, and that's why I wanted to expand on it because, you know, that movement prep term is probably better than warm-up because at that point, yeah, you are – you know, it, it's. I, I guess some people would consider anything before the lifts. Like if you're not touching a weight yet, it's still in the warm up. Um, but at that point, it's <laughs> some would consider prep. lifting warm ups. Yeah, depends who you talk to. <laughs> hey, if you've done FHT, there's a whole lot of warm up sets. There's a whole lot of ramp up sets. Uh, yeah. Sam Sam decided to try one of the workouts the other day after the session, and uh, I think he's still hurting. And that was like Tuesday. So for a guy that, a bitch. that's a that's a ru- <laughs> that's a runner that tried push day. Yeah, he's um. He discovered he had a chest, which was fun. Uh, John, this was awesome, man. Uh, enjoyed enjoyed the chance to learn from you over the weekend, and uh, hopefully I'll see you again here in a couple of weeks if uh, you're rolling back through town and, and I'm able to get back up from training camp. All right, man. Well, I always appreciate it. Thanks again. Uh, everything over at Explosive Performance was world-class, man. It's not every day that you have the ability to go in in front of 100 
really hungry strength coaches and personal trainers. So, you know, aside from it being like 100 degrees and me sweating through my T-shirt, it was an amazing event that, I mean, I look forward to coming back. Yeah, man, we'll, we'll definitely do it. Sounds good. I'll, and uh, I'll talk to you soon and pass along the good words to the powers that be over at EP. Thanks, brother. See ya. Thanks again to John for coming on the show. If you want to follow him on Instagram, he has a bunch of good stuff. At Dr. John Rustin. He's really smart. Good dude. Uh, enjoyed getting to spend a little time with him and hopefully will again here in the next couple of weeks. Probably won't podcast again, but you know, sometimes you just got to see the people that you know in this giant network we've created here in Train with the Best World. With that in mind, episode 100 is the next episode, and that is a big deal for me. It is a big deal for Chris. This started with an idea in a coffee shop a couple of years ago and has expanded to us growing in this massive network of trainers and, and listeners and um, so many of you who listen are fitness professionals and the chance to learn from you as well as to, to try to get you know, the same thing we're doing. I, I say this all the time, whether it's with Chris or whether it's with anybody else that we have on the show. Like, I did this because I wanted to learn more. And it's made me better at this than I could have ever imagined. It's the most valuable education that I have is this podcast. And with that in mind, uh, I am in a secret location that's not actually that secret. It's hidden somewhere in this podcast. And uh, it's on Instagram and stuff. But we're hopefully going to have a very, very special episode 100. Um, but we will have more on that on that episode but we also want to share that episode with you guys so we said this on a couple of podcasts ago and and i haven't been great about you know making sure that it's it's top of mind but but if you want to record what this pod has meant to you we want you to do that we want to put it in the podcast maybe do a little video whatever it is so whether it's a voice memo a video whatever it is just email it to train with the best pod at gmail.com and we're going to stick some of those in episode 100 so that's next. We're really excited about it. And then Chris and I will get together uh, again for episode 101 in Richmond when he gets back from Global Squad. So we're really pumped for episode 100 and uh, look forward to that coming out here in the next week. And then uh, I'll be with Chris in Richmond before you know it. Training camp. It's almost here. It's crazy. Can't believe it. It's like late July. But anyway... Uh, if you want to follow, again, John on Instagram, at Dr. John Rustin. I'm at Craig underscore Hoffman. Chris is at Trainer Gores. And uh, we look forward to, uh, to talking to you guys again for episode 100. We'll see you then. Subscribe, rate, review, all that kind of stuff. And uh, 100, man, it's on deck. <laughs> <laughs>